We're really glad that you're here with us this morning. If you're new to the open door, we want you to know you have a place here with us. And we're absolutely serious about that. And we invite you to enter into a loving, living relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and into a loving relationship with each other. As Pastor Steve often says, welcome home. You're home today. And we uh, hope you know it as home here at the open door. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Rich Hubert. I'm the pastor of Care Ministries here. It's my privilege to bring you the word this morning. You know, Pastor Steve talks a lot about the Open Door Christian Church being a church that changes culture. And the question would be, well, how do you do that? How do we change the culture that we're living in? And we want to offer ourselves, first of all, to the Lord in hopes that He'll empower us to swim against the stream of the culture that we're living in right now. It's a culture that's consumed with individualism, selfishness, false worship, and it's certainly full of hopelessness in this day. And it's in the midst of that kind of culture that the Bible clearly calls us to worship, to love, and to live differently as God's people. We're to be grounded, the Bible says, in faith, hope, and love, literally changing culture every day by the way we share our testimonies of what God's done in us, by how we live privately behind closed doors, and how we live publicly when those doors are open, and how we interact with and love people. I want to tell you today is a very, very personal message. It's about personal living. It's about choices and how we choose to interact with the culture around us as disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen to this quote, if you would. Discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in absolutely every area of life. Discipleship is about moving from unbelief to belief in absolutely every area of our lives. The title this morning is Living Open-Handedly with God. Now, may I please ask you to do something. Would you set down anything you're holding in your hands right now? Put them on your lap, set your coffee down. Would you take your two hands, would you turn them palms up in front of you like this? I'm not going to ask you to do anything funky. Don't worry. Would you look down at your hands? Look at your hands. These are your hands. But I want you to know that these hands were created by the living God. God, the creator of the universe, made your hands. Now, may I ask you this? Can God have permission, looking at your hands, can God have permission to pass anything he wants to through your hands? May you be willing to live in such a way that when God says, live open-handedly, you're willing to allow Him to pass anything He wants through your hands. Go ahead and put your hands down. Thank you very much. What I'm asking you, bottom line, is this. Can your wanting and desiring to live open-handedly with God surpass your desire to cling to everything that you have. We're talking about living differently in a culture of change. Our text this morning is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. It's in towards the beginning of the Old Testament, uh, 
Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings in there. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 17. The setting is this. Israel is a divided nation. She's had a civil war. She's living Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And Israel is uh, a rebellious nation who has walked away from the, uh, from the love of the living God. And she's entered fully into a culture that is defined by rampant idolatry and selfishness. God in his mercy, wanting to woo her back to himself, has sent 30 prophets through the years to draw her back to himself. One of those prophets is Elisha, one of the most notable prophets in the Old Testament. And he was sent to call her to return out of the cultural drift, out of the cultural mainstream that they had entered into. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 4, verse 8, if you'd like to follow along with me. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who's continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber, and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What's to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on behalf, your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about the time, that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Now, you may know, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you may know this biblical story for the miraculous account of the healing that would take place later on as this young boy was born and grew into a young man and suddenly developed a severe headache and died. And Elisha, the prophet of God, raised him back to life in resurrection victory. But that's not where we're going today. I want us to consider today not that miraculous healing, but the story that's within the story here. The story is how a woman and her husband made a conscious decision to live their lives open-handedly with God. This couple decisively chose to share what they had in material possessions with someone else. In this case, the prophet of God, Elisha, and his servant, Gehazi. The couple tells us in the Scripture was financially well off. But something was stirring inside the Shunammite woman's soul that urged her to be generous, to be kind, and to be hospitable. 
sometime in this new relationship, as uh, Elisha had been coming through their town and eating with them, the wife looked at her husband and she said, Hey, honey, let's build him a bedroom up on the roof so that he has a place to lie down and rest when he comes. And they did that. Verse 11 tells us one day Elisha came there and he turned into the chamber and get this, he rested there. Don't miss that. He rested there. He laid down there. Within the generosity of this couple, this prophet of God found rest. May I suggest to you that deep within every one of us there is a direct correlation between our willingness to live generously and open-handedly with God and our intimacy with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in that intimacy that you and I will truly find rest. Somehow, some way, I don't understand it. It's supernatural. It's, not, it's be above and beyond us. But somehow, some way, in the spiritual realm of my soul, how I view people, how I take care of them, how I live open-handedly and reach out in response to the needs of others, it has a direct effect on me personally in my soul. The Shunanite woman and her husband, I believe, discovered this when they made that decision to provide a place of rest for Elisha. I don't know if you've heard of C.S. Lewis or not. He's the great apologist and author. He's written books like Mere Christianity and The Problem of Pain and The Great Divorce. You may know him for his children's writings of the Chronicles of Narnia. Douglas Gresham, who was the stepson to C.S. Lewis, tells this story that one day Lewis and his friend were walking down the street in London when a beggar came up to him and asked him for money. C.S. Lewis's friend just kept right on going. But Lewis stopped, and he reached into his pocket, and he took out his billfold, and he proceeded to empty it totally of the contents that was in it, and he gave it to the beggar. A few minutes later, Lewis, commonly known as Jack, caught up with his friend. And his friend immediately chastised him and said, Jack, you shouldn't have done that. He's just going to waste that on something unimportant and frivolous. And Jack looked at his friend and joked, What do you think I was going to do with that money? Let's be honest. How do we respond when we see the person on the corner with a sign that says, Please help me. Help me. I need a place to stay. I need a job. I could use some cash. Without falling immediately when we see that individual, without falling immediately into judgmentalism about that individual and his particular circumstances. May I suggest to you that Jesus himself challenges us to consider carefully the attitude of our heart at that moment and our willingness to live open-handedly with him. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 6? I want to read verses 30 through 36. Jesus had a lot to say about living open-handedly with God. 
chapter 6, verse 30 of Luke. Jesus speaking here. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you tend, I'm sorry, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. A few years ago, Karen and I were living, uh, doing ministry in Mexico, and we would come out to Tucson, Arizona for a couple of days of rest. And I was walking down the streets in Tucson one day, and a young man came up and approached me and said, Would you have any cash for me? And he began to tell me his story that he had just gotten out of jail. He didn't have a job, he didn't have any money, and he didn't have anywhere to go. I reached in my pocket, I pulled out some cash, I gave it to him, and I wished him well, and went on. For some reason, I got a little ways down the street, and I was moved to turn around. And when I turned around, what I saw was the young man was running across the street to another group of young men like himself, and he was holding up the cash in his hands, and I heard him say, I just got this off that guy laughingly. You know what? I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision right then and right there that I would not let that incident ever influence my heart and my thinking about how I would react or judge others in the future whenever I was approached by someone who's in need. Jesus said, love people. Jesus said, do good to people. Jesus said, don't expect anything in return. Be merciful because your Father in heaven is merciful to you. Jesus said, if someone takes advantage of you, so what? Go the extra mile. Carry the extra bag. Serve as you've been served by the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. And God has forgiven yours. And certainly you can forgive then the same for others. man by the name of Ken Benoit wrote this. I think it's pretty powerful. As disciples of Christ, how you and I walk with the broken, bugs are attacking me, how you, are, how you and I walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. How you and I walk with the broken in this life speaks much, much louder in the eyes of God than how it speaks when we sit with those who are great. Well, you might ask me, Rich, how can I start living a lifestyle of open-handed living? How can I be a faithful steward of the resources that God has entrusted to me? Well, let me give you a threefold wisdom, I call it. Here it is. Number one, understand this. Any change, any turn in direction that you make in your life for the good, 
understand it always starts, it always starts with your relationship with the living God. See, realize that when there's something going on inside of you that says, do this, give this, share this, care for this, it's the voice of the living God who's encouraging you to live differently and to live godly. I get this right from Paul in Philippians 2.13. It's God who is at work in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. Don't resist Him when He's at work in you, but rather join Him. Make that decision to be on the joy of the journey that He's inviting you on. When, it's, when God's on that journey, i got to tell you, it doesn't matter. It's a great journey because He's in it. He's on it. And He's calling and drawing you and carrying you along. It's a life trip worth taking, even if it's a difficult one. It always begins, any change in your life about living open-handedly and generously is your relationship with the living God. Number two, you have to, you have to trust Jesus for what He's told you to do even when you don't have a full understanding. You have to trust Jesus for what He's telling you to do, even though you may not comprehend all that's involved in it. See, when the Shunammite woman and her husband built that room for Elisha, they didn't have the full picture. They had no idea. They weren't even thinking about a son. They weren't thinking about conceiving and getting pregnant. They weren't thinking about a future resurrection. They were just stepping out in faith, and they did what they knew was right to do because God was at work in them to will and to work according to His good pleasure. And God blessed them. God blessed them for their obedience as they trusted Him. You see, living open-handedly... You and I have to trust Jesus for what He's told us to do. That's what's being said here in Luke chapter 6. It tells us very clearly what to do, how to live in this culture, and to live in it being a culture changer in the middle of the stream. It starts with your relationship with God. It requires you to trust Jesus for what He tells us to do. And third, you need to understand that obedience can be costly. Obedience can be costly. But the long-term payoff of the eternal consequences, you can't beat it. It's so valuable. You see, when you and I make the choice to step out in trust and obey God, there's something that, uh, some kind of transformation that occurs right here in the depth of our souls. There's a grip that loosens off of us when we say yes to God and we say no to our own desires. There's a release that goes on from our old nature and suddenly the Holy Spirit empowers us to take control and we suddenly find ourselves with new godly attitudes, a new view of life to embrace, and in your relationship with God and trusting Jesus, we're understanding that we're instructed to obedience. Can I tell you, in this journey of discipleship, your obedience means absolutely everything. Everything. If God's calling you to give, then give. And don't look back. And don't question it. Don't question it. 
Just be obedient to what He's calling you to do. Do you know how Karen and I learned the joy of open-handed living? It was through obedience and a $45 rocking chair. We raised three kids, Matt, Dan, and Liz, two boys and a girl. And we had kind of a no-holds, no-rules home life. We wrestled and we threw each other around and we smashed things. We broke things and we tickled and, you know, we did all that stuff. Put our foot through windows and tipped over lamps and broke Karen's precious things. Honestly, by the time those three got, got out, went through high school, <laughs> our furniture was a wreck. It had seen its better days. Especially one particular chair, which I had repaired through seminary numerous at times. And finally, after we got settled into our first call in ministry, I, the chair was broken again, and I looked at it and I said, Karen, no more. And I picked it up. And I carried it out the door, and I threw it on the burning pile, and I burnt it. A little short while later, Karen came to me and said, Rich, we don't have enough chairs to sit in, especially when we're having people over for dinner and things. Can we buy a new chair? I said, sure, we can buy a new chair, but we don't have any money, so you're going to have to save for it. And we made a fund. It was called Karen's Chair Fund. And little by little, she put away a few bucks, and I put away a few bucks into it, and pretty soon it grew to $500. She was ready to pull the trigger on the chair. At that same time, the church I was pastoring was in the middle of a remodeling, building remodeling program, and it was at the end of it. We were nearly done. But summer slump, as it often happens, set in, and giving was way down, and the thing was just sitting there, doggedly sitting there stale. And I thought one day to myself, you know, if so many families would just give $500, this thing would be done with just like that. So I went home. I told Karen about it, and I said, Honey, pastors and wives need to lead by example. Are you willing to let go of your $500 chair fund so that we can lead the flock? She thought about it for a few moments and said, Yep, it's okay. Go ahead. The following Sunday, I explained it to the congregation about so many families willing to give $500. We'd be done with the building program. And I said, You know what? Pat, we believe, Karen and I believe that pastors should lead by by example, put skin on the game, as Pastor Steve would say. And I held up the check of $500 and I said, This is Karen's chair fund that she's been saving for. And we put it in the offering plate. A few months later, I led a missions team to Nicaragua from that church. The last day of that trip, we were just getting going to the airport and we stopped at the local market. And I happened to see a group of rocking chairs sitting there. Nothing super fancy, but they had a little ornate design on the back. And I thought, Take one of those home to Karen. And it just so happened they had them so that you could bundle them and get them on an airplane. It was kind of broken down. So I bought it. It cost $45. I brought it home. I put it all together. 
I took and I set it in the, in the living room, and Karen sat down, and she loved that $45 rocking chair. As a matter of fact, it was at that time we had two infant grandsons, and she rocked our two baby grandsons with pure joy and delight. I can tell you this, she was one happy grandma. A few months later, I don't know why this happens, but when God's at work, you join Him, right? My phone rings in the church office, and this lady calls and says, Pastor, you don't know me. I don't attend your church. I've just given birth to a baby who's very ill. And the doctor says that baby needs to be rocked. Would the church be able to furnish us a rocking chair? We don't have any money. I hung up the phone. I called the local furniture store. I explained the store, and I said, What would you sell the church a rocking chair for? He said, $179. I thanked him. I hung up, and I pondered it. I went home that noon, and as always, I call Karen on the phone at noon at her office. We touch base. And I happened to walk into the living room and sit down while we're having the conversation. And I'm telling her about the phone call from the young mom. And as I'm talking to her on the couch, looking across the living room, my eye falls on the rocking chair. And I said, honey, would you ever consider letting go of your rocking chair and giving it to that young mom? Well, i got to tell you, there was a long pause. The phone was silent for quite some time. And finally she said, Yes, go ahead and give it to her. And that afternoon I loaded that rocking chair into my car. I took it over to that new mom's home. I carried it in her house and I set it in her living room. And she immediately sat down and began rocking her sick baby. The next day... Karen and I were having lunch together over the noon hour and we were kind of rehashing the events of the day before and we were looking at each other and suddenly one of us said to the other do you know how hard it was to let go of that rocking chair and before I knew it both of us had tears streaming down our eyes You see, it was costly to us, even though it was only a $45 rocking chair. Living open-handedly with God isn't always easy, but it's so enriching and it's so fulfilling because of that release that happens inside of us when we let go and we say yes to God and the Holy Spirit moves in and through us. Should I tell you the rest of the story? Sometime later, I'd shared that story with a group of people that we're close to. Sometime later, we came home one evening from work, and there sat in our living room a brand new oak rocking chair with a note on the back of it that said, Every grandma needs a rocking chair to rock her grandbabies. Can I give you the last thought? And the last thought is this. Can I challenge you to live open-handedly with God in everything 
can I challenge you that whatever resources, whatever resources God has given you, big, small, little, hardly nothing you might have, whatever resources that you've been given, can you use them to honor God? Can you use them to help others and not just take care of yourself? Will you live open-handedly with your God? Don't just love those who love you. Don't just help people who can help you. Look around you. Reach out to people. Impact a life. Be generous. Be a cultural changer in this day. Impact a life. Be generous. Can God have permission to use you any way He wants to use you? Remember the quote in Discipleship? Discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in absolutely every area of your life. I think when we learn this, there is an inner arrest that comes over our souls, just like Elisha found rest that day he laid down in the generosity of the gift of the Shunammite woman and her husband. Would you pray with me? God, we really want to and we desire to live the way you want us to live. And I thank you that you have a call on everyone's life here this morning. Some of us will hear this much differently because we're individuals. Some of us are in much different circumstances from the others. But God, I know one thing is true. There is nothing There is nothing that can stop the work of you in our lives, Almighty God, when we trust you, when we listen to you, and when we obey you. Father, I pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly more in the days, weeks, and years ahead as we willingly live open-handedly with you, Father, that you will touch lives through us, that we will have stories to tell, that we will have joy in the depth of our soul as we surrender it all to the God who's made these hands and has given us your good pleasure in relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I simply pray this. Help us to live for you. Help us to give it all. Help us to surrender in Jesus' name.